Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Inflammatory Content with me, Kellen Cavanero. I know what you're all thinking right now. Man, he sounds good. Well, you asked and I listened. I got new podcasting equipment and I am stoked. All right, but enough about that. Let's talk about some science. The paper that I would like to highlight today is titled Programmable Bacteria Induce Durable Tumor Regression and Systemic Anti-Tumor Immunity, or more simply put, Making Bacteria Kill Cancer. And this was published by Shreyan Chowdhury and colleagues out of Columbia University in July of 2019. Before we dig into the paper, let's talk about anti-tumor immunity and cancer immunotherapy. Way back in 1891, a man named William Coley began injecting cancer patients with bacteria. Sounds crazy. And most people at the time thought it was. He did, however, have a reason for doing this. He noticed that sometimes a cancer patient infected with a pathogen would experience tumor remission. So he started injecting patients with pathogens. And he claimed that this actually worked in a subset of patients. Infecting patients with live pathogen is obviously risky business. So what he did was he heat killed these bacteria and formulated the lysate into something now known as Coley's toxin and delivered that to patients. And he claimed that he still saw benefits. Unfortunately, documentation practices back in 1891 were not very good. So we don't really know how effective his treatment actually was. However, we now know that components of bacteria trigger innate immune responses that will result in inflammation and could ultimately lead to the destruction of tumor cells. Unfortunately for Coley, this mechanism wasn't truly appreciated at the time, and he was outcast from the medical community. Interestingly, he is now considered the father of immunotherapy. Fast forward to the 2010s, the checkpoint inhibitors anti-PD-1, anti-PD-L1, and anti-CTLA-4 gained FDA approval. Similar to Coley's toxins, checkpoint inhibitors take the brakes off the immune system and allow it to kill cancer cells. Another current development in the checkpoint inhibitor field is the development of anti-CD-47 antibodies. CD-47 is what we call a don't-eat-me receptor, like MHC-1 or MHC-2. It's mainly expressed by red blood cells, which lack expression of MHC. As red blood cells age, they lose expression of CD47, and then they are phagocytosed by macrophages. Cancer cells, in their infinite wisdom, have co-opted this CD47, which tells the body, don't eat me. So, a lot of work has been done to see if Blocking CD47 will increase phagocytosis and increase tumor killing. And indeed, this has been shown to be true in preclinical models. Further, there are multiple drugs in phase 2 clinical trials. However, there have been some downsides noted early on. For example, patients can become anemic. This is due to increased phagocytosis of red blood cells. Okay, so this is all really interesting, but how does it relate to this paper? Well, the authors of this paper are exceptional at synthetic biology. They have programmed bacteria to do incredible things. 
and they knew that bacteria can survive well in a tumor microenvironment, likely due to the hypoxic core of the tumor and the immunosuppression that it induces. So they asked the question, can bacteria be engineered to deliver immunotherapy and ultimately kill cancer? They approached this question by engineering two plasmids to transform into non-pathogenic E. coli. The first plasmid, which they call SLC, gives the bacteria the ability to quorum sense and then lyse. Specifically, this works by the production of AHL. AHL is produced by each individual bacterium, and it freely diffuses to the surrounding bacteria. When the AHL concentration, and therefore the cellular density, reaches a critical threshold, another gene is induced. This gene is a phage lysis gene, which causes the bacteria to die. This is super cool. Interestingly, I didn't realize until after I read the paper that the corresponding author of the paper used to be at a lab at UCSD. UCSD being where I go to graduate school, and that lab being Jeff Hasty's lab, where this SLC was first developed in 2016. I'll post a link to a YouTube video of this in the show notes. You have to watch it. It's so cool to watch these bacteria continually cycle between proliferation and death. It is truly amazing to see. Okay, back to the plasmids. Remember, I mentioned there were two. The second one confers the ability to produce CD47 nanobodies. If you aren't familiar with nanobodies, they're just what they sound like. Really small antibodies. These nanobodies lack FC domains and could therefore circumvent some of the undesirable side effects of antibody therapy. Once the authors engineered the plasmids, they stuck them into E. coli. They have one strain that just has the SLC and another with the SLC plus the CD47 nanobody plasmid. One of the first experiments they do once they have the bacteria is lyse them and then introduce them into a co-culture of bone marrow-derived macrophages and A20 carcinoma cells. They then assess the amount of phagocytosis. They found that the macrophages that were cultured with the lysate of the bacteria with the SLC and CD47 nanobody producing abilities had greater levels of phagocytosis of the carcinoma cells. This preliminary data supported the author's hypothesis that the engineered bacteria could be used to kill cancer. So, they moved to in vivo studies. In these in vivo studies, the authors injected A20 carcinoma cells into the hind flank subcutaneously. An important note is that these were fully immunocompetent mice. They then let the tumors grow to a predetermined volume, and when the tumors reached this volume, they injected either PBS, E. coli with the SLC, or E. coli with the SLC plus CD47 nanobody-producing plasmid. They did this for a number of days and then harvested the tissue. When they dissected the tumor, they found that the quorum lysing bacteria alone induced an anti-tumor adaptive immune response. Specifically, they saw an increased frequency of pro-inflammatory type 1 helper T-cells as well as cytotoxic CD8 positive T-cells. Importantly, this was further increased by the addition of the CD47 nanobody plasmid. 
The authors knew this was an antigen-specific adaptive response because when they took out the T-cells and cultured them with antigen from the cancer, they also produced more pro-inflammatory cytokines and cytotoxic molecules. This kind of result is awesome, and it is exactly what you want in a cancer therapy. You want to train the immune system to attack the cancer, to kill it, and also to prevent recurrence. So the authors saw increased frequencies of adaptive immune cells in the tumor, but what happened to the tumor in vivo? Astoundingly, the tumor went away completely when the mice were treated with the quorum lysing bacteria with the CD47 nanobody. Further, the number of metastases shrank from an average of 15 to zero. This all led to a markedly improved survival. Now, something all of you great scientists out there might be wondering is, are the controls used in this study sufficient? Well, they did a great experiment to address any concerns about this. They treat the mice with just recombinant anti-CD47 nanobody to see what effect it alone has. They also take the bacteria with the SLC and CD47 nanobody producing capabilities kill them, and then treat the mice with the lysate from those cells. While these treatments do result in a slight decrease in tumor volume, the tumor is only abrogated when the mice are treated with live bacteria that are able to quorum lyse as well as produce CD47 nanobodies. As if this wasn't cool enough, the authors go on to show that this treatment works for both melanoma and triple negative breast cancer, two cancers that are notoriously difficult to treat. Awesome, right? But wait, there's more. In the cancer world, there's a phenomenon called the abscopal effect. This effect occurs when treating a tumor results in the reduction of size of a different untreated tumor. So, the authors wondered if their treatment would have any abscopal effect. They address this by injecting tumor cells into two locations and only treating one of them. When they harvested and processed the distal untreated tumor, they again found increased frequency of adaptive T cells and further an attenuation of tumor volume. This is fantastic. At this point, though, the question that remains is, did the bacteria traffic to the distal tumor or did the T cells? The authors did two experiments to address this question. They did some in vivo imaging and showed that no bacteria moved from the treated tumor. And also, they tried to culture out the bacteria from the untreated tumor, which they were unable to do. Therefore, this suggests that it's the T cells that are trafficking to the untreated tumor. Interestingly, when the authors performed the single tumor model and injected the treatment intravenously, they found that the bacteria were able to get to the tumor. Astoundingly, they didn't end up anywhere but the tumor, and the mice seemed to have no adverse effects from this. To summarize this phenomenal report, the authors engineered a non-pathogenic strain of E. coli to be able to quorum sense, lyse, and release anti-CD47 nanobodies. They then injected these E. coli into the tumors of mice. The E. coli then divided until they reached a quorum-sensing threshold. At this cellular density, roughly 90% of the E. coli would die and release anti-CD47 nanobodies. 
the remaining 10% of E. coli then divided and continued this cycle. This led to an intratumoral adaptive immune response, ultimately leading to a decrease in tumor size, decrease in metastasis, and reduced growth of distal tumors. Together, these factors contributed to an overall increased survival. I love it. It's so innovative and so novel, and the results are so significant. You could imagine that other immunotherapies would have greater efficacy with this form of delivery. And what's to say you couldn't treat a disease totally different than cancer with this approach? The possibilities are truly endless. With that being said, there are a few minor caveats. This form of treatment works great with a solid tumor. The bacteria have a nice place to set up shop, but I imagine it wouldn't work so well with a liquid tumor. Also, as a mechanistic immunologist, this study left me with a few questions. For example, the authors showed that the engineered bacteria increased phagocytosis, increased T-cell activation, and ultimately reduced the tumor burden, but they didn't exactly show the precise order in which these events occur, or whether each event was necessary and or sufficient for the ultimate phenotype. They should be able to pretty easily address this with some knockout animals or depletion antibody experiments. The last big question of mine is, how are the bacteria not able to traffic to the distal tumor, but they are able to traffic to the primary tumor when dosed intravenously? Do they become stuck to whatever tumor they get to first? If so, how does this work? Nevertheless, this was a really great paper, and I look forward to hearing about what comes next. So, now with the paper wrapped up, I'd like to share with you all a little nugget of information. Something I've learned over the years that has helped me as a scientist. And that is to try to always take part in lab coffee breaks, lunches, happy hours, all the get-togethers that are outside of the lab. Many people neglect these activities. They think they're a waste of time. But I beg to differ. Getting to know your colleagues outside of the lab pays dividends for both your mental health and your science. Alrighty then, that wraps up another episode. Thank you all for listening. If you like the show, please write us a review on iTunes, or better yet, tell a friend. Help spread science. Okie dokie, see you all next time.